Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey, I'm Molly Sims. And I'm Emma Shagormley. We are two best friends with one common obsession. Beauty. And by that, we mean everything that makes you look and feel beautiful. We tried it all and we've got your back. We'll be calling on all our favorite health experts, industry insiders, and friends to answer all your beauty questions. Consider us your beauty 411 and sometimes your 911. From how to fix brassy hair to the pros and cons of laser facials and always with a cocktail in hand. Always. So be prepared to be obsessed. Check out Lipstick on the Rim wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Kroll-Bennett. Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. I'm in the middle of a negotiation with my daughter. Do you want to know what we're negotiating? This sounds so exciting. It's not that exciting, but it is definitely a point of let's say not warlike contention, but definitely contention. So here's the deal. My daughter got her ears pierced at, I think she was about 10 and we had to fit it in, you know, in that two month period where soccer season is not happening so that she could keep her earrings in. Right. It's like technically illegal for them to have new piercings when they're in soccer season because the refs make them take their earrings out, right? Correct. And then if they take them out, they forget to put the medic in, they close up. Fine. When she got her first piercing, at that time, we had a conversation about when she was going to get her second piercing. And I told her 15. I don't know why I came up with that number. I felt like she would be old enough to kind of handle it. And I also told her I would get a second piercing with her. I don't have a second piercing. And I thought it would be something nice. Fast forward, she's now almost 14. Everyone she knows has a second piercing, including her cousin, who is two and a half years younger than she is. And I'm in this spot where she is really pushing me for a second piercing. And I am kind of like, I don't know if I hold fast to the age that I gave her or if I don't really have a good reason for her to not get a second piercing if I just let her get a second piercing. So we are deep in it. And I'm curious if you have thoughts on this, car. The topic of this podcast is how to negotiate with your adolescent. But really what this podcast is about is how to make something seem like it's there idea. Because every single adult on earth who is in conversation 
with a teenager is at some level negotiating about something with that teenager or tweenager. And the most effective way, we all know this from experience, the most effective way to get our point sold is to have that kid think that it's their idea, right? And what you're struggling with, Vanessa, is really common. You set a limit and the limit's being pushed and you as the adult are not even sure that you should keep the limit in place. You have no idea why you set the limit, right? Right. I've lost track of what my thinking was in the time, which I think I might've even uttered while my daughter was squeezing my hand, nearly breaking my pinky bone (laughs) because she was in the middle of getting her first piercing that she was terrified about. So I don't even know, but I'm like, oh, well, if I back down on this, does that mean I open the door to all the other limits that I've set? Like, I'm not even sure. I'm like at a loss at this point. And where you're struggling is her idea right now is to get a second piercing. And where you left it was, you can do it at this age. And so we talk a lot about taking a do-over, but this is different. This isn't that you're clear that you got something wrong and you want to try it again. This is that you picked an arbitrary limit. Even if you understood why you picked an arbitrary limit, you picked an arbitrary limit. And now... You've got a kid who is negotiating and negotiating and negotiating. And frankly, you just want her to back off. And if I give into this, then am I giving her the lesson that if she is persistent enough in her negotiation, then everything is negotiable. And all of the ways in which I have laid down really clear boundaries and rules all become negotiable when there are certain things, not this piercing, but other important things that are not negotiable for me. So how do we effectively help our kids and the kids in our lives think that something is their idea when it's where we want them to live? How do you get her to think that waiting until 15, if that's your goal, that waiting until 15 is her idea instead of yours, because that's a really successful strategy. So the one thing that I do with almost everything, we're going to get into some other examples. And to be honest, (laughs) I haven't actually done it yet in this scenario. (laughs) Yes, parenting fail number 3045 is to ask her what she would do in my position. So to say to her, like, what would you do if you were me? I set this rule. I had my reasons. What would you do if you were me? This question works better with some other scenarios. So Cara, I don't know if we want to get into a couple of other scenarios where this is like the quintessential negotiating starting point with curfew, for instance. So what you've pointed out is that asking a kid what they would do if they were in the adult decision-making role is the very first way to flip the conversation so that kids actually can think through. Some will even empathize with the position you're in. Now, when it comes to ear piercing, the reason why it's not the best example of that strategy is that she may very well, and I think I know her well enough to say, she probably will say, 
well, if I were you, I never would have set 15 as the <laughs> limit. And there goes, boom, there goes your argument. Or she'd say, I would change my mind and let me get my ears pierced. My second okay. piercing now. And that is a great moment in negotiating with your kids because what a, an adult can do in that situation where a kid offers a solution that looks like a win to the negotiation, but you've asked the kid to be the adult in this scenario. If you don't want to just hand it over immediately, but you kind of know they're right, right? Because sometimes they're right. Yeah, sometimes they are right. Yes. You could say, okay, then why? Why did you, because now you flipped roles, why did you come up with this arbitrary timeline in the first place, which will help her get to thinking about the rationale behind your decision? Because I wanted you to wait until you were older and slow it down. Because if you get your second piercing within X amount of time, maybe you're going to ask for a third or a fourth or a 12th, you know, and let her get to that kind of thinking by putting herself in your shoes. So it's always appropriate when a kid gives you an answer to the question, what would you do if you were me? And the answer is, I would have done it differently in the first place. You can always say to them, well, why do you think I did it the way I did it in the first place. Hopefully the answer is not because you're a total moron and terrible decisions. It it may be. It may also be, I have no idea. And that may actually be your answer too. And so that gets complicated. But let's use the example of curfew, which is really great for the ask them what they would do. And I just had a realization as you're priming me for the conversation with my daughter. I did have a realization, and this is important for all these conversations about why I chose that age. And it's based on my perception and understanding of extra piercings from when I was a teenager and a young adult. And what did it represent when people got extra piercings? What image were they portraying? How old were the people I knew when they got second period? Like I was bringing my adolescent baggage into the conversation, my assumptions from my own adolescent period. And we do have to acknowledge that times have changed and that some of the rules we set based on those experiences might no longer be as relevant, right? My 11-year-old niece and all of her friends have second piercings. In our day, no 11-year-old was getting a second piercing. So I think that's kind of also where I can buy myself a little room, like hey, I was basing it on my own experience. And now that I think about it, it's kind of outdated. And I want to hear what you have to say. So curfew is a very similar thing because we all remember what our curfews were when we were teenagers. So to me, curfew is totally different because with something like piercing or clothing choices, makeup, hairstyles, like all the the sort of superficial exterior stuff, all of those things, I get that argument that you're making that the cultural norms have shifted. And for many parents, that's enough to get them there. Although I do hear my grandmother in the back of my head as you're talking saying, if Jimmy jumped off a bridge, would you? And so that's a whole other, but on the external sort of that stuff, I get curfew is different because The later it gets into the night, the worse the decision-making. And that has not changed from generation to generation, right? So 
that mantra, nothing good happens after fill in the blank. That is kind of true. Right. But the kid's argument is and was everything fun happens after X o'clock, right? So we're aware of the danger and our worry and our concern because we have lived and we also both happen to be relatively, or in your case, extremely cautious people. Um, (laughs) But our kids are kids and they're, you know, their limbic system is ruling their lives and they're seeking pleasure and excitement and novel experiences. And so there's the danger issue and then there's the missing out and my parents suck and make unfair rules. This is a beautiful example of negotiating with your kid because there is a middle space in between where the fun begins and where the danger begins. And that middle space is the negotiable space. So in my house, curfew conversations are endless. And they're endless because I began the journey of parenting a teenager in COVID, meaning like my teenager was a teenager, but she really wasn't asking to go out or pushing bounds until we were really into COVID, which put a a stop to all of the requests. Okay. Um, So they were just beginning as COVID was just beginning. And I bought myself a year and a half of not being asked questions about curfew. So by the time the restrictions were lifted and it was safe for kids to congregate and all that stuff. Here I was, my kid was much older than she would have been if she had asked me at sort of the developmentally appropriate time for her. And I was like, oh, I totally trust you. You're so old, you're so mature, you go. And do you know what she did? She proved to me that trust and comfort are two different things. (laughs) (laughs) Because I still trust her very much, but she had no curfew and what I was comfortable with and what she was comfortable with turned out to be really different. She was really comfortable staying out really late and she would come in and tell me when she was home and she would tell me absolutely everything that went on. And my kids completely mock me because I make them kiss me goodnight when they come home and they know that I do a sniff check. Oh my God, you're like, like Lynn Kroll. My mom used to do that. And now they imitate me. Like when they say goodbye before school, they're like, do you want to do the sniff check when Wait, you hug so me? I just have to tell you my mother. So we had to come in and kiss her goodnight. And it was like, you she has I liked like your mom. She has like the nose of a bloodhound and you come in and kiss her goodnight. And she'd be like, okay. Um, parliaments and Bud Light <laughs> it's like, and then I, maybe a Jaeger bomb at the end of the night. Am I right? <laughs> can I tell you that literally I can do it so Lynn Kroll-esque at this point that my kids, before they give me the kiss, say, okay, I was in a room with someone and this is what, and mango vape and whatever. And I wasn't doing any of it. And right, you know, you know, the, yes, the whole conversation. I'm but very because, familiar with those conversations. Because they know the sniff check is coming, but it's a whole digression because really it's the curfew example of negotiating between trust and comfort and between where the fun begins and where the danger begins. So let me tell you, she was super comfortable coming in really late. I was increasingly not, but she's a night owl. She's wired differently to me. And she's very social in that she draws her energy from other people. And here she had been 
stopped for a year and a half from doing any of that. So I'm trying to balance all this stuff. And finally, one day I said to her, I have to implement a curfew and it is not because I don't trust you. I trust you completely and you're completely open and honest and frank with me. It's that I am laying awake at night thinking about who's on the road at 12 and 12.30 and 1 and 1.30. And it's not you. It's everyone else who's on the road who's increasingly intoxicated and scaring me. I'm thinking about what decisions, what impulsive decisions are you going to make at midnight and 1 and 2 a.m. that you might not make at 9 or 10 or 11? So trust has nothing to do with the equation. For me, safety had everything to do with it. And it was an amazing conversation because what it resulted in was that she had the idea to have a curfew. And it was her idea to make me feel more comfortable. And what we agreed on was her curfew was negotiable. Each night that she would go out, she would say to me, what time should I be home tonight? And that was how we worked it out, given her age and her stage. And frankly, sort of what she had proven to me with her track record. Had she broken my trust, I would have been tighter on the curfew. But she earned her way into that negotiable situation. Hi, it's Vanessa. I'm super pumped to announce an in-person puberty workshop in New York City on May 15th. The workshop is for kids and adults of all genders, and we will cover genetic female puberty, the anatomy, physiology, and all of the emotional challenges that this complex and wonderful time presents. It is the first time we'll be running an in-person puberty workshop in two and a half years. So it's particularly exciting to me and all the folks who teach these workshops with me. Just so you know, this is our last workshop before the summer. And then we are looking forward to doing more this fall. And stay tuned for some super exciting news from me and Cara. You can register for the workshop at the link in show notes. Spots are limited. So don't put it off until next week. Do it now. And we hope to see you there. Hey, it's Cara. We all know puberty isn't always easy. One of the trickiest pieces of the puberty puzzle is boobs. When will I get them? Why are they so tender? And why does every bra out there seem to pull, push, pad, itch, scratch, or be so flimsy it doesn't do a thing? That's where Umla comes in. It's a company that makes puberty comfortable, a company I founded with my friend Julie. When our own daughters began the puberty journey, we couldn't find a decent starter bra anywhere. So we made one. It fits perfectly whether boobs are just starting to bud or they've been growing for a few years. We call it the Umbra. And it's game-changing. The Umbra is made from buttery cotton that feels like second skin, ridiculously soft, and so comfortable you'll forget you're wearing anything at all. 
Umbra's one-of-a-kind support comes from its patented layered design that creates gentle compression without any tight binding, which also means it doesn't need any bulky, awkward pads because it's built to seamlessly hide nipples and protect against those dreaded ouch moments throughout the day. Our daughters and their friends are done with puberty, but they still love and wear their Umbra's. It's why we say that the Umbra may be your first bra, but it will definitely be your favorite bra. Come say hi, look around, and find your Umbra, plus lots of other puberty info, at myoomla.com. That's M-Y-O-O-M-L-A dot com. After we've been Zooming all day, we both hit the same wall. We forgot about dealing with dinner. But given what we do for a living, we know the importance of feeding ourselves and our families well, and we want it to be yummy. So we're psyched to have found Factor. Factor's chef-created ready-to-eat meals show up at our front doors. With over 35 different options a week to choose from, Cara goes vegan and veggie while I opt for a whole variety since I have so many kids. Two-minute prep gets us restaurant-quality full meals snacks, and smoothies. And Factor is less expensive than takeout. And because flexibility is key, you can choose anywhere from six to 18 meals per week, and you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor meals require no prepping, no cooking, and no cleanup. Our kids are thrilled by the lack of dishes. So get started today and have a week of meals ready to go, taking the dinner prep pressure off. Head to factormeals.com slash puberty50. Use the code puberty50 to get 50% off. That's code puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50. We know it's really tough when a kid's skin is breaking out for the first time or the hundredth time. But now there's an effective product that can help. It's called Phyla and it's clinically proven to fix acne by targeting the bad bacteria on the skin without eliminating all the good bacteria. This rebalances the skin's microbiome, treating existing breakouts and preventing new ones. Phyla's active ingredient is a probiotic isolated from the skin of healthy, acne-free individuals. This means Phyla can stop acne before it starts by eliminating bacteria in the pores without irritating or drying skin. And Phyla is safe for kids of all ages. Dermatologists recommend this easy three-step system. Just cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. My own kids actually use this product. They love it because it works so well. Get 25% off your first order of Phyla with the code PUBERTY. Go to phylobiotics.com and type in the code PUBERTY at checkout. Link is in the show notes to get started. With my older kids, we set a time and it was their responsibility to let us know if they weren't going to make that time. And it couldn't happen always and constantly that they weren't making curfew, but that if there was something going on that caused them to not be, you know, the Uber was late or whatever the situation. And then there was a point where my oldest said to me, you know, I've had the same curfew for, I don't know, two years. I'm older. I'd really like a later curfew. So I said to him, okay, that's fair. He came to me 
you know, calmly and constructively. I said, what do you think's a fair curfew? And he told me, I said, yeah, I think that's, I think that's fine. And then, you know, we, we went on with it. Now you and I have talked about this before. I'm always blown away. And this, this gets back to your original point, which is instead of telling our kids how it's going to go down, we ask our kids how they think it should go down. What's a fair curfew? What's a fair allowance? We're going to get into what's a fair consequence or punishment. Some people might call it. I'm always blown away how my kids somehow come up with the same number or the same time that was in my head, right? So he went from a 12 o'clock curfew to a 1 a.m. curfew. And in my head, it was 1 a.m. You know, my kid went from a $5 allowance to a $10 allowance, whatever it is. I'm always amazed that there is a kind of a mind meld about what I have in my mind. The only time that didn't happen was in this situation of a consequence. And I won't get into specifics to respect my children's privacy, but I will just say that one of my kids screwed up in a major, major way. And it was not a situation where we just had a little chat. It was a situation that required a a grounding and some other consequences. And when I asked him what he thought the consequence should be, he came out with the harshest, most like draconian punishment. And I was shocked. And I was like, oh my God, wow. Let me think about it. And we ended up giving him a less harsh consequence. When I circled back with him a couple of years later to ask him about it, he said, well, I had a new strategy on that one. (laughs) And I thought if I gave myself a really harsh consequence that you would actually cut me some slack and give me one that wasn't quite so bad. He said, that's how I approached that particular situation. So everything you're saying reinforces that if we model for our kids what we're thinking, if we use words to explain our rationale and we show them with our actions, they will over time pick up on the subtle and not so subtle cues of the way we hope they'll make decisions, our value system. So it is not at all surprising to me that when you have a kid who has a midnight curfew and you're renegotiating the curfew, you both land at the same place because you had years of kind of indoctrinating and informing around what you think a logical step up might look like. And in another house, maybe the step up looks different. Maybe it's smaller, maybe it's bigger. This is all sort of modeled by our own personal behavior as adults and our own value system. So the fact that when kids have an allowance. And allowance is a great example. Uh, you know, sometimes they will tell us they need or want something, right? So a negotiation might look something like this. All of my friends have allowance. I don't have any allowance. Can I have some? And this is what I plan to do with it. So they give you the crumb. They give you the morsel of what they need. Then you can run with it because usually the morsel they give you is based upon all the conversations you've had over the years prior about 
your expectations about their personal responsibility. So it's not a great surprise when they say either I want $5 a week to spend on, you know, whatever little tchotchke thing, or I'd like $20 a week. But with that $20 a week, I am going to cover all of the following expenses. Because if you have a kid who does that, you've then modeled for them a little bit of budgeting over time. You, When you're at the grocery store, you say, oh, I'm I'm paying for this. When you are paying bills, you let them in. Like there's a lot of that modeling that goes on. So it's not surprising to me that your kids did that. But I do think it's a really good example of that second strategy, which is take the crumb they give you and run with it. Let them kind of guide you and tell you what they want and why, and then lean into that conversation and see where it takes you. I want to shift gears because some of these examples are kind of for older kids, right? Like a curfew, Mm. for instance. And I want to shift it down to how we begin these kinds of conversations, sort of the training ground of these negotiations, which... I'll give you a great example. Yeah. Video gaming time. Oh boy, do I have experience with that. So this is a very classic late grade school into middle school negotiation. I just had it this morning. For the 17 millionth time. (laughs) Right. So parents ask us all the time. The question for us is often, how much gaming time is too much gaming time? Because that's the position from which they are going to begin their negotiation. But that is not a position of strength. That is knowledge that is important to have. But that is not a position of strength in a negotiation with your kid, especially when you want your child who's starting to explore gaming platforms and become social on those gaming platforms. So there are some very redeeming qualities about, also there's a lot of, Some gaming platforms offer exercise. Some offer fine motor coordination skill training. I mean, there are benefits, right? So just starting with how much is too much and then dumping that on your kid, not effective. But knowing how much is too much, very effective to file away. So where I want to start with this type of negotiation is the advice that you start by looking at your child and observing how is this thing that they are asking for more access to or any access to, how is this thing impacting them directly? And you, Vanessa, have four kids. And my guess is that the four kids are actually impacted by gaming and screen time a little bit differently. So I have one who, when he was younger, if he spent too much time gaming, he reached a point where when we took him off of it, where we set the limit and pulled him away, that he would express really strong anger towards us. Which is classic. Which is classic for certain kids. And it was a little bit like us knocking our heads against the wall until we realized that there was a direct correlation between too much gaming, taking him off of it, and his anger towards us. And so that conversation sounded like, hey, we're not going to take away your chance to play on the Xbox, but we're noticing that if you're on it for X amount of time, your behavior becomes really unkind and unpleasant. And so to help you move away from that behavior, because we know as parents, our kids don't want to be mean to us. They don't want to be jerks from us. 
but there's something going on inside of them that's causing them to be that way. We said, we know you don't want to scream and shout at us. We know you want to just get off the Xbox and be fine with it, but you're having trouble at this amount of time. So we're going to cut back on the amount of time you're on and let's see if that works. And lo and behold, it worked. Now, can I give you a suggestion for a way to have that conversation? If there's a kid in the house who is not going to be amenable to it in that style, another style is to ask the, use those exact words, but ask the question. Right. So I have another kid who... You have a lot of kids. I have a lot lot of kids that seem to be in every corner of my house who doesn't get angry and he will happily lie there and he's delicious and charming and wonderful whether I take him off at hour one or hour 21. But I know it's not good for him. And I know he forgets to like go to the bathroom and he forgets that there's such a thing as like daylight and sunshine. And so with him, I'll say, listen, I need you to move your body. I need you to walk the dog. I need you to get sunshine. I need you to like change positions. I need you to pee. So what do you think is a fair amount of time? I know you're on vacation. I know you're chilling out. Like what, what's a fair limit? But even with the kid who has that switch that goes off where they go from being their pleasant, lovely self to being abducted by some angry monster in their brain, okay? Even that kid can be approached in question form. It's very, very effective to say to an eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old, have you noticed that when you're on your gaming system for a long period of time and I go to turn it off, we end up in a fight, right? How to make it their idea. But you don't have that conversation the 30 seconds after you've just pulled them off their device. Oh, no, you don't. Great, great point. You have that conversation in a moment of calm when you're just hanging out or when you're taking a walk or when you're getting a snack, but it is completely fine and actually really effective with some kids to ask them to tell you about their behavior and hold a mirror up for them because then they may suggest a time limit to turn it off. That's their idea. Another example, okay, for again, this skews a little bit older, but for kids who have phones, if you are allowing that kid to have apps, particularly social media apps, but it could be gaming apps as well, and you put a time limit or you put parental controls, it becomes a little bit of a fight. Whereas if there is a way to get your kid to set the time limit themselves, then it is their idea. And they are the one that is being prompted by their phone. Your 15 minutes on blah, blah app is up you know, do you want to override? If it's their idea, they feel far more empowered to say, no, I'm good. I'm done with my 15 minutes. I want to bring up another case study, which is one where it's not us noticing or being concerned about stuff or negotiating stuff. It's about them coming to us and wanting to do something or experience something or try something like walking home from the bus by themselves or taking the subway alone, or you have a great story about going to their first high school party, right? Where they're asking us and they're telling us they're ready and 
we are not necessarily ready to let them. And that's a different kind of negotiation. And I want to walk through what that conversation might sound like. So with the, you know, your fifth grader who's ready to walk home on the bus by themselves, that's a little simpler, right? Okay, let's do it together for the first day. And then the next couple of days, I'll walk behind you and kind of watch you cross the street. And well, but, but I think this is a great example of that system of coming up with the solution for the kid and presenting it that way works in some families. But in other families, even that doesn't work. Even that feels like you are imposing so much structure. And so for other families, the better solution is, I hear that you want to be able to do this on your own. I know you know I'm not ready for you to do it yet. Help me get there. Tell me, how can we do this so that I can start getting comfortable? And that strategy works, whether it's walking home from school or from a bus stop alone when you're in fourth or fifth grade, that strategy works all the way up to and through the bigger high school social hurdles where, you know, I want to go to this music festival with 500,000 people and, you know, every drug in the universe. Uh, Okay, I'm not comfortable with that. Help me get there. Tell me, what is it going to look like from your perspective? How is it going to go? Like, you know, I'm not okay with this right now, but let's see if you can get me there. And if you learn how to have conversations like that with your kid, not only will they sort of flip to it's their idea and will they have some ownership in the solution, but even better is they will often let you in on what is really going on because then you're able to have conversations about what you're worried about. If it's walking home alone, maybe the worry is stranger danger, but maybe it's actually crossing the street and not looking both ways and being worried they're going to get hit by a car, right? I mean, there are lots of... And so you can share what some of your concerns are so that they can say to you, this is how I'm stepping it up. This is how, hey, I hear you. This is how I'm stepping up. But with the older stuff, they can actually start to share with you some realities of what's going on. And that helps open those lines of communication in so many other directions. I want to close with our practical puberty takeaway. And I'm going to go first because you just said something that sparked a thought in me which is that not only are we having these negotiations, but as you mentioned earlier, we're actually training them how to have the self-reflection and the strategizing so that they can move forward in their lives and continue to reflect upon what's safe and what's not safe, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense, how to hear someone else's concerns, worries, thoughts, and ideas, and how to assimilate those into their own decision-making. So we're doing two things when we have these conversations with our kids. One, we're actually addressing the particular issue at hand. But two, we're also helping them build the skills to move forward in life and make good, safe, healthy decisions on their own when we're not there to be in conversation with them. Yes. And as I say in improv. (laughs) Oh God, here we go. (laughs) The follow-up conversation that we'll have on a different episode is the conversation about when you do all of this in a way that works for you and works for your kid and you're feeling like you've just won parenting 
right? You're not fighting. You're not negotiating. You're having this open dialogue. They're telling you where they're going and what's going on. And you're feeling so connected and you don't even want to tell any other parents how well it's going in your house. And then you get a call from a parent asking about some story that's going around about your kid. Or you get what happened to me recently, you get a text from another kid saying, whoa, and sharing with you something about your own kid. And suddenly you realize while all of this non-negotiation is going so well, maybe your child is still doing the developmentally normal thing of not sharing everything with you and not exactly painting a full picture, which some might call lying by omission, because when they leave out very salient facts about themselves, it, I don't know yeah, what you you're know. talking about. <laughs> but we are going to pick that thread up in a different episode, because it is very much the flip side of this coin. I think that episode should be called, when you think you're winning at parenting, just remember, you're not. And on that note... <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at the puberty podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at the puberty podcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out my or dynamogirl.com. Bye. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.